and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I bet almost every one of us can relate to this week's gospel reading. Maybe not the part about being cast into outer darkness, but surely the part about having the right clothes for the party. And how do I know? Because just look at all of the invitations that we receive to parties. They're very good about telling us what to wear, aren't they? This is a formal event. This is a business casual event. We're going to a luau or a costume party, some kind of theme event. And even then, you don't have to raise your hand if you identify with this, but I bet even then we still call each other up to make sure we got it right. What are you going to wear to the party this weekend? Of course, I myself am a little bit lucky. I find myself wearing the same thing almost everywhere I go. And even then, I bet some of us have had that awkward experience where we didn't quite get it right, or at least we think we didn't, because we find ourselves looking around the room thinking, hmm, I wish I'd worn that outfit or that suit or that tie. Well, as you know, we are in the midst of our annual stewardship campaign, a campaign we've titled A Story of Growth. And with it, I'm preaching a four-week sermon series, a series that I've titled Growing the Kingdom of God, because, as I said, stewardship is the result. Stewardship is the result of, of our response to the gospel, and it is the use of our time, our talent, and our treasure to that end. So last week, I preached on the question, what are you going to do with Jesus? Because, as I also said, when we get Jesus right, we get everything else right. But as we know, the corollary is also true. Get Jesus wrong and everything else tends to go wrong as well. So that brings us to our question for the day, what are you going to do with the world? And I wanna to suggest too that this is also a critical question for us because most sensible people can look out into the world right now and tell you that things are not quite right. And no, I'm not just talking about the problem of COVID and the collateral damage it's causing, but the deeper questions of life that are set into our reality, those things that guide and govern us, what am I supposed to believe and how am I supposed to live? I was meeting with someone earlier this week who is a few years younger than I am. He's in his mid-30s and he's looking at the folks who are coming up behind him and his summary of the culture around him is that more and more people are turning to answers other than Jesus Christ and the church and it's leaving them desperately hollow, and we Christians know that. And the reason we Christians know that is that we know that if anything is going to be done to make a real difference in this world, it's going to come by Christians and from the church. We say it every Sunday, and it's why we say it at the end of our worship service. You are, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That's a statement of identity that Jesus Christ gives to each and every Christian. Well, today, as I mentioned, Jesus tells us another parable that seems to find its climactic moment when a man who is at a wedding feast finds himself banished from the party, even cast into outer darkness, simply because he learns he's wearing the wrong garments. 
It provokes a lot of questions, but I'm just going to point out a few. How did he not know what to wear? Isn't that the obvious one? Didn't he know that he stood out from everybody else just a bit? Well, what about everybody else? Didn't they notice that he stood out? And maybe the most poignant question, why didn't they do anything to help the man? Now, before we dive into that part in particular, let's notice some other things. First and most importantly, most importantly, let's notice that there's a king. And this king has a son. And the king is throwing a wedding banquet for his son. And what Jesus is foreshadowing, of course, is his own eternal heavenly banquet, where one day the faithful from every tongue, tribe, and nation will gather around the throne of God together with the angels, the archangels, and all the company of heaven, and will cry out, as the book of Revelation declares, splendor and honor and kingly power are yours by right, O God. For with your blood you have redeemed from every family, language, people, and nation, a kingdom of priests to serve our God. And so to him who sits upon the throne and to Christ the Lamb be worship and praise, dominion and splendor forever and forevermore. Sounds a lot like our Eucharistic feast, doesn't it? But as startling as it is to see this misclad man, there's actually a whole cast of characters that I want us to meet this morning. A whole host of people who simply reject the king's invitation. Because as much as the one man was lost, if we Christians are going to answer the question, what do we do with this world? We should at least be able to identify all of the lost and the different ways in which people are lost so that we can know how to minister. So first in the parable, we encounter what I've called the abject obstinate. This is the first group in the parable, and they hear the invitation, and upon hearing it, the parable says they simply would not come. Perhaps some of you know someone like that in your life. These are the people who can see a Christian coming from a mile away, and they say to themselves, oh no, not that guy in the collar again. And they run the other direction almost before you can get the words out of your mouth. Second, we see those who are lost to indifference. These are the ones who may politely listen to the invitation, but it's just not important to them. They have far more important things to do, so they go off to the work, or they go off to the farm, or something else that seems more important. I don't have time for church. I don't really need God in my life. I've got to take care of the things that really matter. Third, we meet those who are lost to anger. These are the ones who treated the king's servants shamefully. Without even dignifying the invitation, they killed the servants. And these represent the ones who are openly hostile to Christians and the church in our world. Often they're either indoctrinated with the wrong things from an early age or the church or a Christian has perhaps hurt them deeply and they're wounded and they're angry and they act out of their anger. 
And let's be clear, the problems they cause are not worse than others who reject the gospel. They just sometimes appear more flagrant and more frightening than some of the others do. So what do we do with this world? In this complicated and difficult picture that Jesus is painting for us, I want to suggest that there are at least three things we can do. For as the Apostle Paul instructs us, instructs us in our epistle this morning, I have learned, I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. What do we do? First, we have to recognize the reality as it is. After all, first and foremost, this is what Jesus is doing in the parable. He's helping us to see the, the playing field, all of it, as it actually is, so that we'll know how to respond. Brothers and sisters, you know this. This world is not our final home, so that neither anyone's rejection of God, nor the evil that ensues, nor the powers of hell, nor even death can stop his sovereign plan, and that's good news. For as we know, Christ has proved himself victorious over the grave, and we look forward to a heavenly home with him. So that leads us to the second thing. Secondly, this life is our opportunity to repent and to return to the Lord. Of course, this knowledge requires us to examine our own attitudes and our own actions. For as the old adage goes, there but for the grace of God go I. In other words, are there times and ways that we ourselves have hardened our hearts to the call of God? Maybe there are times in our lives when we've refused to listen even before God has spoken to us. Are there times that we ourselves might find ourselves indifferent to the things of God, prioritizing earthly concerns over heavenly ones, being casual or even careless in our Christian walk and witness? Have we ourselves felt a hurt, a rejection, or a pain? The kind that, if we're not careful, can create a bitter root in our hearts and cause us to have a certain kind of hardness against the things of God. After all, and you know this, if our attitudes are like those of the world, if our actions are like those of the world, how in the world is anyone going to know that we're getting ready for a party? And that returns us to our earlier consideration, the one about the man who showed up at the wedding in the wrong clothes. It seems implausible. How did he not know? Was not his appearance obvious to him? And yes, what about everyone else? You have to believe that they noticed the man too. And so we have to ask ourselves the questions, why didn't they help? Let me make a stark contrast for us that Jesus, I think, is making. You see, at an earthly party, one that we might go to in this life, everyone notices when something or someone looks out of place. And we also know that hardly anyone would ever do anything about it. It would be embarrassing, after all, to point it out. But it seems that the point that Jesus is making here is actually the exact opposite. God the Father is throwing a heavenly banquet for his son, Jesus Christ. And if there's a concern that someone might not make it in or may get thrown out, what's the third thing that we can do? It seems that Jesus is saying to us, don't just stand there. Do something about it. Say something to the man. 
help the man in some way because he is in danger of suffering an eternity apart from God. So I want to close with a quick story about a young lady who came to our day of discovery this past Wednesday night, two Wednesday nights ago now. She isn't officially a member yet, though she is in the process of joining. And last Saturday night, she sent me a text. I want to share it with you as she gave permission for me to share it. She said, hey, Chris, so I'm jumping on the disciple train and I would love to bring my cousin and her husband to check out the church because I was telling them about how amazing Christ the Redeemer is. She said they're out of town the next couple of weekends, but I'll be bringing them soon, exclamation point. Now that, my friends, is someone who gets it. And time and time again, I see this parish family doing that. And I can't tell you the joy that it brings to my heart, and most of all, the joy that it brings to Jesus' heart. So what do we do with this world? Give me a church full of Christians who are like that, who have that kind of attitude and display that kind of action, and I'll tell you exactly what we'll do with this world. We'll win it to Jesus Christ, one soul at a time. We will win it to Jesus Christ, one soul at a time.